welcome to Set the Month in Motion, our monthly podcast and forum produced in partnership with the City of Fremantle's Building Business Capacity Program. My name is Denisha Quinlan and I'm the CEO here at the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce. I'd like to start today by acknowledging this very special country from which we are live streaming and the traditional owners of the Buja land on which we gather, the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. The Greater Fremantle Region has many stories to share of business success, growth, social enterprise establishment and support. Our Chamber membership includes a number of growing businesses, not-for-profits, charities, new technology, innovative companies and organisations, all trying to make a difference. There is a common thread across all of these businesses in terms of continuing to question how to fund my growth, my project, my idea, my community service or even my team to deliver more innovation. Today we are talking funding models for success and in particular we're going to take a deep dive into grant funding and its application, appropriate targeting and tips for success. We'll be exploring opportunities and challenges as well as some of the experiences in getting government grants and alternative ways to create investment strategies and find funding sources. We are joined both here in the room and online um, by an exceptional panel who together have multiple decades of experience in advising organisations, securing grants and growing programs. Um, Andrew, to my immediate left, is the Director for Full Blue um, at the centre of the Blue Economy Innovation Western Australia. He has previously grown social ventures, leading seismic change in WA the UK, including Mesh Points, Startup WA, Pollinators Inc, Goodness Festival and Spark Challenge. His experience as a leader and innovator are complemented by training, qualifications and research combining rigorous scientific inquiry and care for human development. He's worked all over the world from Geraldton in WA through to Scandinavia, the UK, Asia, the US and Canada as a researcher, facilitator and consultant. Um, you've attracted for organisations more than $20 million in funding and investment, which is extraordinary, Andrew, and I know you have an incredibly high success rate of assisting businesses to grow. Um, and that includes across all sectors, uh, banks, schools, government, um, specific advocacy and sporting groups have even trusted you to guide their strategy and governance as both director and chair. You have an enduring affection for silence and emptiness, which is extraordinary given how often you have to interact with me on a regular basis. Um, including the ocean, on bikes, and especially when shared with others, um, interspersed with laughter in wild places. Andrew, you have led and worked, as we mentioned, for not-for-profit social enterprises and business, where you've accessed many different types of grants and funding. Can you help us understand the differences in what they are for and what takes it to succeed in achieving that level of funding? Yeah, thank you for having me, and thanks everyone for being here. It's, I'm really looking forward to this a conversation to dive deep into it. it. I think it is useful for benefit of our audience and every, everyone to make a distinction between um, what types of entities might be looking for funding. Mm -hmm. So um, I, might, I might talk about a bit like food. So let's say there's businesses and they're like carnivores uh, and they just eat meat and um, not-for-profits at the other end of the spectrum could be like, um, like vegetarians, like they only eat vegetables. And then social enterprises, which might be in the middle, they're a bit like omnivores, which is great because they can eat either, um, but it makes it more complex. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good to know what you are, first of all, as a, a first thing. The second is to understand that grants and funding are like for something, that mm -hmm. the, whether it's government or the investor or the philanthropist, 
they have something in mind from their side that is usually somewhat overlapping with what you're trying to achieve, but not totally. Um, so it, you, the, the art of clarifying what is our mission and purpose and you know, what is the yeah. funder or investor or philanthropy or grant, what are they looking to get out of it is quite important. Yes. Uh, so a, a, a couple of examples to try and fill that out is that generally, if you're lucky uh, uh, and you're a charity, a, philan a philanthropist might just be like, look, we just love what you do. Yeah. Here's the money, keep doing what you do. Yeah. But generally with, with government grants or an investor, they'll be like, look, we really like what you do. And there's a particular thing that you do, like generate profits or reach disadvantaged youth or reduce carbon emissions that we want you to do more of mm -hmm. so we can get some of that. So getting funding from any of those sources, yes, they want you to grow and they want you to do more of what they want. There is a sort of... Um, and that covers a lot of business grants and those sorts of things. The final category I'd say is where there are some, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, there are some where they don't really care whether you succeed. They just want the outcome that they want mm -hmm. and they're paying you through grant or funding to deliver it. Yes. And that's where they'll be like, you can't spend more than 15% of this grant on your administration and we don't care if that drives you to the wall. Yeah. We're, we're giving you this grant to deliver this social right. outcome or the same with the same can be on the um, you know, lender or investor. The bank will be like, here, we'll give you this money. We don't care if it drives you to the wall and you go bankrupt. We want the money back with interest. Mm. So I think it's really useful to understand um, at a higher level, yeah, what sort of entity you are <laughs> and so, you know, what you eat yes, and what these grants and funding are for and how aligned that relationship is with, with the other party. So that's, yeah, trying to paint it's a the landscape there. I love it and it's such a great introduction to the conversation because I think so often... Um, one, we forget what problem it is that we're actually trying to solve and, and in many ways that makes a mismatch with the, the problem that the uh, other party feels that they're helping you solve. Um, but also um, that underlying message that nothing really, you don't get anything for nothing if that makes sense and yeah. that within all of our conversation we have to be thinking about that match between those needs and expectations because it's one thing to get a grant, it's another thing to actually manage it, an investment um, proposition, and the third thing to measure it and report back on it is another part of the process that we often really don't think through very clearly and I think you set that out really well, Andrew. Yeah, like it, it costs you time and energy money to, to get the grant or funding. It will cost you a bit to maintain that relationship and deliver it and then acquit it at the end. And... I think the interesting thing is also that you may, your organisation entity may have a want to continue forever, but generally the funder or um, investor, you know, they're, they're in it with you. They're fully supportive for <laughs> this 12 months yes. and then they're like, good luck. Or they expect you to build your capability to continue to deliver that public benefit or to grow your business beyond that very time-bound period mm. on your own. Yes. So it's, it's like a... I mean, going back to the food analogy, um, A, 
you want to know what you're shopping for and what the deal is when you buy it. Um, you probably don't want to just chase after the bright things, shiny things um, that give you a sugar hit without being conscious of like, oh, this is just a sugar hit for the next 12 months. Mm. Mm. Um, and yeah, and, and also that there's competition. Like <laughs> there's other charities or businesses out there hunting you know, for the same food, yes. approaching the same investors or going for the same grant. There's, there's very few, I mean, I can think of a couple, um, you know, R&D tax, export market development grants, um, you know, JobKeeper, there was one incubator initiative where it's not really competitive. Lottery mm. West, it's just like a massive bucket. You have to get over a hurdle, but it's not competitive, but everything else is competitive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and in terms of that sugar hit, the other thing I both on and off is that when you're within large organisations, potentially developing grant funding and op opportunities, the, the key conversation is how do we make this organisation sustainable? When can we actually pull the money back out of them mm. um, is a really key part of that conversation. But on the other side, the amount of energy and investment and almost desperation that can come from trying to maintain those relationships to mm. keep that long-term funding is really important. Thank you so much for that overview and introduction. Um, sitting up to your left um, is the amazing Lee Sinclair, Executive Director of Imagine Futures. Lee is currently the Executive Officer of Imagine Futures, which is a partnership of over 60 different stakeholders, a key navigator in managing relationships on many levels, Lee, uh, who contributes to their collective knowledge and resources to test innovative approaches to improving the lives of vulnerable people. Over the last 25 years, Lee has worked across the full spectrum of human service providers in various levels of government, not-for-profit, as well as the private sector. Um, she's held equally varied roles ranging from policy development, strategic planning, contract management, through to designing and delivering frontline services. Lee's approach is very pragmatic. Um, she's ever mindful of the varying context of different levels in which government, businesses and agencies work um, and ensure there is a common understanding of the project brief and the drivers for a project upfront, recognising that this knowledge sets the scene for how well the project is delivered, but in many ways, as we were just talking, Lee, how well the grant is executed and acquitted um, as well. Lee, over the years, I feel like you seem to have a magician's touch when it comes to funding significant projects, particularly in the social services and community sphere. What do you put that success down to? Thanks, Denisha, and that was a great intro. Um, to the whole, the whole area, Andrew, I think you really um, covered the key points. For me, as I was saying to Andrew before we started, I put that down to me just being around for a very long time and, and working across so many different contexts. So early in my career, I worked in, in the, the other side, you know, assessing projects, assessing funding for a Commonwealth Government Agency. That um, funding uh, package that we were working on was overseen by a community advisory group and there's nothing like being in a room with a, you know, eight to ten people assessing a project to really get an understanding about how these projects are unpicked. So there's all that sort of stuff that you spoke about, Andrew, in terms of alignment um, with the grant and the purpose for why it's there. They're coming to the 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 funding has got a very particular context for its reason for being and then you have all the other factors about how well that project is communicated and how that brief is put together and whether um, whether the applicant is really showing that they understand where they fit in the big picture and why they're the best people to be doing it and how they came to develop the idea um, and then how they actually 
uh, articulate that alignment. Um, you know, so it's very. So I always have that in my mind when I'm putting together a grant. Um, I do lots and lots of work about whether I think it's a good idea, as well. And if I don't think it's a good idea, I won't won't pursue it. Um, because I have a really, you know, I have worked um, in um, policy, the political sphere. I have a really um, good knowledge of what what the bigger picture is, what the context is. So, so somebody might come to me with a small idea, and I'll pretty quickly go, "Yeah, I reckon I can read that. Really aligns, you know, with what the evidence is telling us, what the context is, uh, and then." I'll start to build that picture. I'll talk to people that I think are experts in the field and get their opinion on what they think might be the downsides and then look at mitigating that or, um, or think about partnering with others. So really that, that investment in time and, and to, the, to the thinking about all those things, does it align with, with what we as a, or the agency is doing? Um, so there's a whole lot of work that goes into the background, and and as you said, can we then deliver it? Mm. You know, and that alignment of stakeholders of thinking who else is in this sphere that can either help or potentially be competition. Also, understanding where you fit. I know we were even joking last night. One of the challenges at the chamber is understanding even where we fit in in the landscape in a whole range of different areas within the services we provide and. For businesses, understanding where they fit and where they want to be, um, I imagine, are really important questions to think through. Um, and that's kind of was on my next question around how you start in terms of developing, both in terms of your search for where the fit is, but how you develop a strong pitch or proposal to support your funding applications. Right? So I, I start big and then work down small. I really look at, um, you know, what's happening beyond beyond even government policy, what's happening, um, you know, what, what are we starting to see emerge, um, you know, in, um, more broadly, um, economically, politically, um, health-wise. So then really, so really start to think about that. It, it comes down to, is this, is this project or idea, is it actually meaningful, is it a good good idea and then start to work work the way my way down think about whether it's practical um, you know yeah what all what are all the factors is it um, is it achievable is the the way that the grant set up you know the the project management fee all that stuff does it does it work and um, and then start to build that case over time as well so you've you're not coming to any grant in complete isolation. It's not like an idea that's just thought of off the top of your head. You've got relationships in place. How do you use them? How do you bring people to the table? All that kind of thing. And then it's about distilling that into a really pithy um, pitch. You know, what's the gap we're filling? Why is it us? How do we develop it? Um, why are we the best person to deliver it? And um, yeah. Um, and what runs on the board have we had previously? I think it's a really, really good summary. The, the whole idea around what problem it is that we're actually trying to solve before we get in there. But also, I think, you know, there's a temptation when there are, particularly post-COVID, where there were a lot of grants around, a lot of it is, and, and investors looking for different solutions. Why can't I get a bit of that? What do I actually have to change in my business? And it's more around trying to almost fit the business to fit the funding model as opposed to the other way around. 
Um, I'd love to come back to both the themes that you've both raised earlier. Um, I'm just going to jump quickly online to Peter, who is Executive Manager for Grant Guru, who sees more different sorts of grants, I'm sure, than most of us see on a lifetime, I would say, Peter. Uh, Peter joins us from Victoria, um, where he spent the last four years in that role with Grant Guru, a premier grant directory in Australia with some 35,000 users. In a previous life, he has spent considerable time on the other side, writing grants, administering grants, assessing applications and delivering projects. Um, Peter, can you talk us through what a grant directory is and how Grant Guru and other software like it came to be? Yeah, sure. Um, and thanks for the intro, Denisha, and hi, everyone. The directory side of things, I'm just going to share my screen with you. <clears throat> and I think with my colleagues, Andrew and Lee, the common question is, where's the money? Um, it comes to us left, right and centre and the typical response is let's do a Google search. And I think most of, us have, most of us have been there and done that and seen the vast response that you get and all the different platforms. In fact, there are 9,000 providers of funding in Australia who are currently giving funding or have historically given away funding. So we're monitoring them. We've got a data team of 13 people. So good luck um, if you're by yourself looking for funding. It's really hard to find. So the Grant Guru service started in 2008, aggregating all of this information by reading the FAQs, the guidelines, the application form, everything that comes along with a grant application or program and summarizing it and putting into a uniform format in a directory, an online directory. And partnering with the city of Fremantle, we provide a localized grant finder that you can see here on the screen that allows you to quickly gravitate to the right grants. And, Andrew was mentioning businesses versus community groups. And yeah, there are grants, depending on how you're registered as an entity, that givers will provide funding for. So let's make sure we're in the business area when we're searching for grants. 720. And it's called the business area, not the carnivores. I like that, Peter. <laughs> Maybe you've That's got some cool. new titles that Andrew's given you that we can put it into carnivores and omnivores. <laughs> I love cool. it. Cool. <laughs> yep. Um, so how much funding's out there? Well, uh, $63.4 for business um, applications and business grants. Total for residents, there's 1,122 grants worth $65.7 That's including not-for-profits. So this grant finder is localised. So what is a grant finder? It's a summary of grant information put into a format that allows you to quickly navigate to the right grants for your purpose identify the right grants, see the summary, save those grants into your favourite list, track them, monitor them, apply for them. And I think Andrew and Lee would agree, grant writing is a strategic approach. It's a team sport. It has to be planned and mapped, not last minute grant writing. That's what we want to avoid at all costs. So in relation to a grant directory, what is it? Well, the URL I've gone to is freemantle.grantguru.com.au. If you've got a device, Google Fremantle Grant Finder. Simple, it's the first one that comes up. But that's the URL I've gone to. It's free. free. The City of Fremantle partner with us to provide this service, along with other uh, 230 other councils in Australia. We also work with federal and state government departments to help them win industry to Australia. So this is a really powerful tool. It's at your fingertips. It's free. Go for it. I'm loving that everyone in the room has already grabbed their phone and is looking at it. So you've done very well there, Peter. To, uh, um, 
You mentioned that there's both private and public grants on the portal and on Grant Guru. Um, and we've talked a little bit about competition. How do you stay ahead, do you believe, and what do you see the organisations, I guess, in terms of staying ahead of the pack when applying for these sorts of grants? Are they all quite targeted? Can people get a really good sense of whether they would fit a particular grant category or do you feel that sometimes it's a bit of a scattergun approach and you kind of just throw yourself in the box in the opposite of what Lee and um, Andrew were saying? Yeah, no, I think um, uh, Andrew touched on it earlier and it's the main assessment criteria. As a funding giver, um, you really want to jump into their shoes. So jump into Lee's shoes for a second when she was a grant administrator and they're looking for programs that match the purpose of that funding really well. Grant Writing Success 101, right match of grant with the initiative. Then it's all about understanding how the grant administrators are thinking and engaging with them. Um, Lee, how many times did people reach out to you and want to discuss their programs? It's really important, unless specified otherwise, to contact the administrator before you start writing. Become familiar with the FAQs, frequently asked questions, the guidelines, the application form, read them three times over, become really familiar and reach out and contact the administrator to ask some intelligent questions. There's the key, intelligent. Mm. <laughs> and what I mean by that is educated because ultimately you want to demonstrate to the administrators and put your best foot forward. What you're actually doing by contacting the administrator is actually creating a mini interview in the first place. It's uncanny how often the receptionist or the person answering the phone will either be a judge or talk to the judges. So really important to plan and prepare and map the grants that you're applying for, not just a grant list, a grant strategy. Which one's first and then which one's next year? Because industry success, Andrew touched on it earlier, it's 25% for competitive grant writing. Competitive grant writing are all those grants that Andrew didn't mention. The grants that Andrew mentioned were criteria match grants. In other words, if you match this criteria, you will get the funding until the bucket runs dry. So it's really important to remember that you're not guaranteed success and it's, you, you, you'll need four or five grants in the pipeline for one to come off, typically. So grow with grants. And what you'll find is as soon as you win a grant, it won't be the last one. You'll find that as your business or your entity grows, you'll apply again and again. And, and keep going. So keep a central depository of your grant applications and information. So there's some two, you know, some a couple of quick tips, but some rapid fire suggestions, which I'm sure Andrew and Lee might um, elaborate a bit further on, or at least nod and agree with me. Um, yeah. but um, <laughs> no, I think they're really right. good. They're really good suggestions. And I, as you were talking, it drew me back to my days at Woodside, where we were managing or I was managing you know a couple of million dollars worth of funding and the amount of grant applications you see that are the opposite of that where someone is literally just sent the same sheet and the same information to every single organisation without reading the criteria without really having a really good think of what is it that this organisation as Andrew said is actually looking for and why would they be offering this money for community investment in the first place and what problem are they trying to solve and generally it was building communities in this instance and supporting the marine environment that's what the business did and so you you know having that I guess idea when you go into it rather than just grabbing uh, an off-the-shelf document you prepared last year and sending it off to every organization you can find <laughs> it's probably not the best to work through um, 
We touched on it earlier, Andrew, and one of the things we're talking very much now kind of about the grant world, but there is a whole other world as well in terms of you mentioned, you know, that the angel investors, the banks are another way to source funding for growth. How do you decide what's best for your organisation in terms of that and, and make that initial start to look at that landscape? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great question. I probably, I'll probably focus on business yeah. as the as though I'm, I'm talking from a business perspective, but I'll briefly cover off that. Um, yeah, some not-for-profits and charities have long contracts and they could also look for loans and there's an increasing amount of um, philanthropy and impact investors where this investment approach can start to apply to charities. Mm. Uh, and the same with social enterprises. Um, you know, one of the social enterprises I, I ran, we we were really deliberate about being 70% revenue at least and 30% grants. And then for a few years, we went on a grant diet and were just 100% revenue. And that was very beneficial in actually making us more attractive to grant funders afterwards because um, we could stand on our own two feet. And I think that's probably something that applies to, to business as well is real understand what is your your sort of core fundamental operations you can keep running and then what is the growth objective or the expansion into a new market or the additional public benefit or um, the new product you want to develop that's sort of additional that needs a bit of a boost and generally grants and funding and investment are to um, you know yeah, be additional to that core area. So I think that's the first analysis is understand, you know, what should we be taking care of through our cash flow, but where could a loan funding, um, investment, crowdfunding, where could that help us get over a bit of a hurdle where we'd probably make a loss or um, we wouldn't be able to sustain that expense in the short term, mm. but over the long term it's going to be really beneficial for our business or the other... Um, the other partners so that's that's making a distinction between oh we get a sugar hit and then we just go back to usual or sugar hit and then we crash how can we use this this sort of sugar hit this grant or funding or investment to get to the next level yeah. where we'd be able to sustain and grow beyond that it's interesting um as you were talking then i was thinking about the example of um, republic of Fremantle, which is obviously a really creative approach um, in recent times around crowdfunding and building citizens, but it was very much for a specific purpose to look at that export market and take that initial jump into that export market rather than fund operations, as you were sort of indicating that that's yeah. some of the thinking we have to do. Yeah, so you, I mean, that crowdfunding is a great example of a, a new sort of new source of funding or grants or investment. Um, but often, you know, you'll need some money to succeed in, grant <laughs> in crowdfunding. Yeah. Um, like it'll cost money to do the marketing. Um, and yeah, if, if, you're in, if you're solely depending on crowdfunding, I'm not, I'm not aware of many organisations that have really succeeded long-term in a pure crowdfunding approach. But yeah, like I said, to level up or to top up what they've got from banks. Probably the... the, the for have more of a discussion just to say that I think this landscape of what's available is getting more complex and diverse and there are more and more opportunities um, even initial coin offerings and and multiple ways through um, through crypto and blockchain yeah there, there's sort of many more options than historical and many more investors looking at 
you know, doing social good um, and many more government agencies looking to see um, charities become a bit more enterprising or self-sustaining. Mm. So it is a quite a complex landscape and that's why I, mean, I really appreciate the Grant Guru service, which is a bit like rather than shopping around those thousands of grant providers, you just go to the one massive supermarket <laughs> and it's well organised in aisles. <laughs> um, that's true. But yeah, probably the, the other thing is that, you know, Lee's a, an, an expert. Um, it's a bit like going to a dietitian. You could go and eat the whole supermarket, but Lee would probably be able to say, well, look, in my experience, probably focus on this aisle and this segment. Yeah. And that's what we we do at For Blue, um, is we have a, our own database of 200 investors, sources of grant funds that are specific to ocean industries. And I mean, we're a bit like the dietitian for those marine um, innovations because we can filter that list and say, look, here's the top 10. Because um, as, a, as a private company or even a small, small charity, yeah, you don't have the headspace and time and all of the context and understanding of the politics and everything to probably filter that. So getting expert advice, I mean, I think an hour or two with with someone like Lee or myself or that other mm. sort of funded service providers could like really deliver amazing returns compared to, yeah, wandering the aisles of the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. you just um, on that, Andrew, I'm working with a group at the moment. It's exactly that. They've got a fantastic idea but just no time or energy to think about how they actually formulate that in a, into a way that it can actually be um, set up to attract funding. And, you know, and, and again, it's very easy for me. I, you know, that they're sort of in the weeds doing the work. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that really aligns very well with this, this and this. I can, you know, I can write it up, give it back to them. They can then... Then, then be in a position to apply, but it's it's is a real it's a real set of skills in and of mm. itself. And I think that um, oftentimes, you know, people can easily give out or, or just will bring on volunteers to write grants, or you know, which is fine for a bit. But really, if you don't have the the, the other stuff that sits around it, you're at a huge disadvantage. Mm. Yeah. And it's not dissimilar to writing you know, contract pitches in many ways, you know, I think also individuals within the organisation, like Peter was saying, that are potentially writing three, four different, you know, contract proposals, they get into that rhythm of understanding where is the assessment criteria, how do I actually target my ideas to do this? And there's a rhythm to it. I even find myself, when I'm out of it for a while and you suddenly come back in, it's like so much harder to get that focus and that energy that different expertise brings. And um, Peter, one of the things I was also going to ask you, and, and to Andrew's point, obviously, you know, it's taken you a considerable period of time to gather the niche area and that list of individuals within a sector. Um, how does organisations like Grant Guru, um, how, I guess, reliant can those using the um, tools be that they are current, they're up to date, that they are... Um, that you've got everything that you possibly could have on there? What's the process yeah. for that? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that no database will be 100%. Mm. Um, but what we do know is this is the most comprehensive data set in Australia and New Zealand of funding. 
we work with federal and state government to deliver these products for them. Um, we've got a data team of 13 people, um, full-time email alerts and entry are done daily, 24 seven. Um, so this is a pretty serious business, um, very resource hungry. Um, and basically as soon as there's an, an, an announcement from a minister, it, the program's in the system within 48 hours. So um, how reliant and how trustworthy is it? Look, there'll always be anomalies. Uh, funding administrators will change details on programs from time to time. Um, there'll be uh, discrepancies or changes or addendums made. Um, you can't avoid that, but ultimately this is the most accurate data set. It's an ever moving feast. We're very lucky in Australia. We've got such a broad spectrum of grants available and grant givers. A lot of countries don't have this, but it does present that problem. How on earth do you find them all and navigate your way through to the right ones? So um, I hope that answers that question. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great introduction. I think we've heard a really nice overview. I'd love to throw to either online or in the room if anyone has any specific questions to date. Hang on, we need a mic for you, Kate. Sorry, Kelly's just going to do a run, otherwise we can't actually hear you. So apart from Grant Gurus online, where we can identify opportunities, I am working in my own business. I've got three children. I have zero, actually minus hours in the week. And um, I am definitely at a point where I like to pay people who are good at what they do to assist me in various areas. What are we looking at to pay a professional to help us identify and start the process Obviously, you're working both, you know, everybody here is working for different organisations. None of them sit where I would need them to sit. Are there any that you can think of? Yep, I can answer that um, somewhat without bias. We don't do grant writing at Grant Guru. <laughs> um, we focus our energy on the software, but um, I can start. Um, with the software, we know people are time poor, especially in business. Um, and especially when you've got family, et cetera, but you can set up email alerts so that you set up a basic profile and as email, uh, as grants are announced and added into our system back end, if it matches your profile, you get pushed an email alert to uh, inform you of that. That avoids the logging in, logging out, logging in, logging out. How much? Grant writers range from uh, $200 an hour to $450 an hour for the big labels, the big four accountants in the world, in, in, in Australia. Um, are charging up around that figure. There'll be a split fee depending on the grant type. Usually there's an admin fee and a win fee, or it might be a 100% admin fee, or it might be a 100% win fee, depending on the match. Um, Andrew mentioned R&D tax incentive and EMDG, Export Market Development Grants. They're criteria match. Typically they're a win fee only because if the grant writer assesses the client and they're worthy, there is no real argument there's going to be a payment. But if the program is a good match and it's competitive, that's when it needs to be negotiated as to what sort of a structure there is. Um, keeping in mind uh, instalments, <laughs> often grants are given in payment instalments, therefore the payment that comes to the, the, uh, the actual client and the grant writer needs to be negotiated um, from there. Um, I might hand over to, the rep, to my colleagues on the panel to unpack that a little bit further. Andrew, did you want to take that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think think you have. And I think um, from a, just a, a local perspective, I mean, that's the sort of thing that I used to do as a consultant. So there will be um, 
you know, there's consultants floating around that, you know, you can um, look for that will, uh, you know, charge um, probably in the order of uh, what Peter was saying in terms of hourly rates. But, of course, yeah, the, the rate will depend on the size of the grant and, and, you know, those sorts of things. But you can bring in experts to do it. But it's a very dynamic environment. And then, yeah, you, you probably, there are some sort of government subsidised services probably to to help you maybe in the initial steps. I'm familiar with a couple. Um, and, and we offer that for our marine businesses thanks to us getting a grant to deliver that <laughs> service. Uh, but yeah, it probably depends on the scale that you're you're talking about, um, and and exactly what types of grants to give you a bit more specific advice. So happy to talk about that after. And I, I think Lee, when you were introducing, um, I think you made a really um, interesting point around context and understanding where the external landscape. And just thinking through um, Kate's example there of, you know, in. For example, if I, if you don't mind, Kate, taking your business as an example, where you're specialising, say, in, in food and an industry that we know has a much broader context around, you know, food security, food sources, export. There's a whole world that you then have to think about. Where does my business fit into that context? And some of that thinking, perhaps engaging a consultant to have a look at that is as helpful as it is engaging someone to have a look at a grant for you because it helps set that external context. Do you think, Andrew, that's something that you work a lot with in the environment? Do you want to make a comment just around uh, understanding the external context? Yeah, no, I think that's that's a, a really good point because uh, you could read grant criteria all day and talk to the administrators, but so for some of them, especially in the space we're in, which are more innovative, They'll write grant criteria and I'm like, that's not what they really want. Like, I know the guys and I know the lady who's running this, administering it, and they have done a terrible job. And this is <laughs> yeah, so there's 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 stuff where really understanding the structure and decision making and grant assessment process can mean, yeah, for one of one of the companies we work with, they they sort of didn't tell us and then spent a lot of time on this big application. And I was like, you're never, I mean, good luck, but I don't think you're ever going to get that. And you've just burned like 24 hours of your time. So, you know, $5,000 on something that, yeah, a probably 10-minute chat, I'd say, look, that's probably a that's probably a 1% chance you'll get that. In fact, that was our first conversation, wasn't it, Andrew? I think the first time we met, I told Andrew that I'd applied for this grant and he said, why? There's no way in hell you're going to get that. And I said, I wish you'd actually told me that a week ago. <laughs> but, yes. I'm sure it was actually a much more gent gentle conversation than how you've depicted it. <laughs> But it actually does go to show because I was looking specifically in that instance at a criteria around export support provision and innovation. I was thinking we ticked all the boxes by my definition. But as you understood the, the politics behind that, it was a very different source of funding. And yeah. Mark for Mark for yeah. oh, no, you're 100% on the, the mark. And I think that, um, yeah, yeah, but absolutely, you know, and I think this whole putting, thinking about, yeah, was that grant cobbled together? You know, there's a whole lot of quickly, um, they're working with their own pressures, thinking about that, how can we make their job 
easier, you know, think about how do we fit within that, make their job easier for them. Um, you know, um, Peter's very um, good points about reading the grant three times because it is really easy to get carried away with the grant might have some title and you're like, whoa, that's us. And you read this criteria and you realise that's not us very quickly. Talking to the grant administrator, it's amazing how many people don't do that. And that the difference between reading criteria and talking it through with somebody is is chalk and cheese. Mm. It's incredible the amount of information you you'll get if you actually speak to somebody. And uh, as you were talking, then that conversation and that understanding of why what is actually in this criteria when we come to acquittal is also really important. And I have in a past life worked for an organisation where an individual was incredibly successful at getting a whole lot of money from a whole lot of different people without will or care really at the start of why they gave them that money and then had to run around and spend so much time and energy trying to retrofit programs that they'd spent the money on that didn't meet the criteria that they got the money for. Um, you know, an incredible amount of energy goes into that acquittal process, doesn't it, Lynn? Oh, oh it, absolutely, it absolutely does. And you need, you, yeah, that's right, you need to be thinking about that. How are we actually going to do this? Because our reputation's on the line here. Because, again, as Peter said, once you start winning grants, you start delivering, you, you're automatically in a, in a better position to be able to secure others based on your record. Um, but again, if you, again, if you're just trying to grab any grant that you can just to survive, it's just, you know, it leads to a rapid undoing. Might just um, briefly just fill out what, that some of these same principles apply if you're going for angel investment or, mm. um, funding from a bank or you know vc investment which is that um we are really understanding the motivation of the other party um often with um, venture capital funds or banks actually you know if they have special programs etc um what they say what's on the website may differ from what's actually going in the background so trying to get warm introductions or third party inside or who've who've they've invested in or lent to previously can be can be really valuable um so, yeah, some of the same principles apply whether it is, is yeah, grants for charitable purposes or sort of getting funding investment, including that, yeah, this is an ongoing relationship. Um, you're going to have to learn to work with these people. It's a bit, I mean, in some cases, it's a bit like getting married. Like this is going to be a long-term ongoing relationship and you're going to have to not be sitting across the, across the table from each other in a very transactional sense, but you're really trying to be on the same time side of the table so you can tweak and adjust um, but you have your your um, your focus on the same outcomes yeah. so yeah some of the same principles apply in a very commercial world as yeah most of our discussion has been a, a bit from that sort of grants for mm. public benefit or social outcomes perspective absolutely and as you're talking i was even just thinking about sponsorship falls into a really similar category where as an organisation if you're running a particular festival or a project you may be able to source multiple funds from multiple sponsors and then back on the delivery that's the other thing to consider is how you deliver it to all of those different people mm -hmm. when they all have their own expectation and think their logo is going to be the one up on the gobo sign and maybe it's not and how you actually manage those politics is another whole kettle of fish as well so in many ways applying for grants agent investment the banks sponsorship, 
or even pitching for work full stop. You know, they're really similar fundamentals. What problem am I trying to solve? Who are my stakeholders, both those giving me the money and those, you know, receiving the money? How am I going to deliver this project? And then how am I actually going to report back on it? Yeah, and is it worth it? Is it <laughs> worth <laughs> it? <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Is it worth it sometimes? sometimes? And again, that kind of, and that, that's, it's good to have those pauses and think about that. Mm. Could this be delivered in another way? Um, and just be really clear about that. Again, it's you're playing the long game, or you're hoping to. Um, you know, this kind of perpetual chasing your tail. You, you, yeah, you completely lose your, your what you're about and Absolutely. why you're there. So, um, I think some of the most stressful moments in my career have actually been trying to deliver to sponsorships expectations at a particular moment in time when they all overlap, and you do sit back and go, maybe there was an easier way just to get that five thousand dollars. <laughs> Absolutely. But by the same token, they do enable growth and they enable our organisations to deliver. On the is it all worth it, maybe we go through the, um, the panel and if you can really just think of maybe sort of one example where it was really worth it and what actually made that first success in getting the, the funding or investment, but then what actually made the delivery worth it and then maybe leave us with one tip for success. Did you want to start, Andrew or Lee? You've got the microphone. Do you maybe want to start? Yeah, look, I um, just sort of an example that we're, we're sort of in the final throes of now. But um, um, Imagine Futures has been delivering a um, project called the Alliance Against Depression. Um, it's based on a model that was uh, uh, developed overseas and we've um, and been brought to WA by the WA Primary Health Alliance. But you know, this is a great sort of example, I think, of what we've spoken about today. So so when COVID hit, we thought, you know, what are going to be some of the biggest costs to the community? It seemed pretty clear early on that mental health was going to be be huge. So we as a, as a, as a partnership really identified mental health. We thought about the big context. We looked for opportunities in the community to, um, um, for tackling that that issue, the Alliance Against Depression model, was around, we adopted it, we agreed that we would implement it in some way. We did all the, I did a whole lot of due diligence about how it worked in our local context. So all that work up front, what that meant was that we were in a really great position to receive some opportunistic funding that was coming by for the, for the next, for one phase of it. That set me up to apply for other funding um, through Lottery West for sort of the implementation phase. And ultimately, we've delivered a really great program that's had great impact and, um, and outcomes around system navigation, um, uh, you know, increasing GPs' uh, knowledge on best practice approaches to treating depression and anxiety, so delivering some great outcomes for the community. So it's worth it, um, but it really is about trying to set yourself up to use funding as a tool and to be flexible enough to kind of take opportunities as they present. Great. Thanks. That's a great example. Cool. Um, yeah, I'll probably give... I might cheat and give two examples. Um, so the, the first one I'll, f I'll focus on, I won't name the company, but there's there's a marine company in... Um, an ocean-related company doing um, food in uh, very high-value um, food products in regional Western Australia. Now, they're, they're regional, 
So there's already specific grants and funding that can help regional businesses. They're looking to export, so they've gotten grants to help with um, with trips overseas to visit those markets or to bring buyers here to see the produce. Um, there's grants for um, infrastructure and equipment um, or value-adding um, investment grants to value-add to their product for export. Um, and all along the way, that also builds their profile and credibility um, with their customers that actually the government is backing them. So there's some value in getting grants that transcend you know, just the cash for the business. It's, it's really positioning um, as a market leader and, and ultimately they, it's, um, the, the state government and, and federal government are see the, um, put money and time into promoting them as a case study. Mm. So that, that further adds value to their business. And, you know, they've gotten trips, um, or, or, you know, not entirely paid for, but, you know, half their, half their trips, you know, half their infrastructure. Um, and they really are pushing the... Um, the edge and innovation um, in some areas of their business. So I think that's a good example. I'm trying to give you an example of multiple stages, multiple initiatives, but where they've seen that that aligns with a, a state, a federal or a, um, a local government outcome. Um, I think another example of uh, from a, a more like a social enterprise, like half business, half, um, half community benefit is the Blue Gravity Program, which um, we're doing with Fremantle Chamber, where we've we have a product or service but you know reaching um the very early stages of um ventures and really providing um marine businesses across western australia with a one-stop shop to access all the other subsidized services we're like okay, that that's really valuable mm. we'd love to do it we're happy to donate our time and we found a dozen other partners who are also like well we'll give a discount on our services and products and the local is aligned with the local governments with the state government so suddenly we've turned um you know sort of fifty thousand dollars of our investment into three hundred thousand dollars worth of investment from a range of partners and that that means you know wa's whole sort of ocean industry gets advanced now i think the thing that's worked really that well there is having quite a high level goal and aspiration that everyone could align on but then a very practical mechanism that was a win for everyone. Um, and I think that has really hit the sweet spot. Mm. The complexity is that, as you foreshadowed, I've got to deal with a different dozen different partners <laughs> who have different timeframes and incentives and, you know, one program date will move and everyone else has to shuffle. So it's quite complex, but um, it is a, a very critical part of our our. Our business and growing the broader ecosystem provides a great service. Um, yeah, so I think that's a good example of where you know, a commercial business can can spin out into doing something that is quite broadly public benefit, um, and is a yeah the halfway between that business growth and pure community service. That's fantastic. And interestingly, despite the different contexts, the Alliance Against Depression and the Blue Gravity Program are actually quite similar in terms of bringing together community sector professional businesses like GPs and others to, to deliver. Um, and one of the things that struck me in both of those examples, and often I think in business or in organisations, the opposite of is it worth it in terms of putting your hand in, hat in the ring is why am I struggling with all of this on my own. And I think, you know, so many people in business are so focused on running their own business, 
you know, there's probably other regional food producers doing amazing things, but they haven't just looked up enough to go, how do I share my story? How do I engage with funders? How do I think about what I'm delivering? Which has, even if you aren't successful in one grant, that whole thinking process of knowing you're not alone and I can pick up the phone and talk to different people and be part of a much bigger ecosystem, I think is a really valuable um, tool in both of those examples. Peter, did you have an example yeah, I have a bit of a summary as opposed to a, a sample. Excellent. I think, um, well, we're winding up, yeah. so that sounds great. <laughs> and yeah, Andrew and Lee have provided some good examples. I think um, uh, you've you've touched on a key point, and that is uh, grants are grants by their nature as a title come in different shapes and sizes. They're very specific. They have specific purposes. They've lost lots of them, and even alternative funding, crowdfunding has different uh, approaches, different um, subsets to them. Uh, so as a result, what we're gathering today from this session is uh, it's quasi business planning when you put in a submission for support. In other words, I'm trying to communicate with somebody multiple times, <laughs> often, what it is I do. And a lot of us have our business plan in our head. We don't have it on paper. And grant applications or submissions for funding are really quasi-business planning because you'll be asked all of those questions all over again. So grant writing tip, keep that information because that whole process is beneficial in itself of applying for funding or support. Remember grants, they're dollar for dollar match. So you've got to make sure you've got budget to match that funding if you get it. They're one for two or more commonly one for three. In, in other words, you've got to chip in $3 for their one. Or it might be a rebate or a voucher or a low interest loan or a no interest loan or all these other things that support businesses and community groups. So business planning 101. If you don't have a business plan, I'm a big fan of the one pager. We've got a one pager business plan. It makes it nice and short and simple. Um, grant writing tips. Don't use acronyms or uh, jargon <laughs> because the poor grant assessor and judges may not have that level of expertise that you have and may not know what you're talking about. So when you're writing, be wary of that. And the, the final point is some of these grants will list previous winners. Nothing wrong with having a look at that list and who knows, maybe even approaching them to say, hey, can I have a look at your grant application? Really handy little tip. So <laughs> I'll leave you with that. But um, I hope that, um, that, that summarizes from my perspective today. Wonderful, Peter, thank you. And I like the really practical tips in with the bigger picture because that is the absolute reality too, is at the end of the day, it's a communication tool and you have to communicate your business to another person, an individual that doesn't know it intimately. Um, and one other point I thought that you highlighted um, quite well was also the, the benefit of the acquittal process in terms of understanding your own KPIs and keeping track of your own performance within the business. I think there's a huge benefit in business um, that we've certainly found over the years is by continuing having to report back to others, you keep a really clear eye on what are your key KPIs as you grow. Like all of our conversations, I love the fact that they surprise me. And I think this has been another wonderful conversation that has so much practical application um, to our businesses. Um, I've certainly learned a lot myself. So thank you very much to our panel. I really do appreciate it. Um, Thank you, Chris, um, from Cloud Vision, as always, for ensuring that those sitting at home with their nice hot cup of coffee in their pajamas can hear us and see us. So thank you again for all of that help and support. And thanks to Kelly and our team. Mm -hmm.